0: Namor Tassa Pagavato at a hatto, Sama Sambutasa Namor Tassa Pagavato at a hatto, Sama Sambutasa Namor Tassa Pagavato at a Sambutasa So we're just uh, coming to the end of our first day, full day of the retreat, and uh, you know usually there's this transition time. We come from our lives with our thoughts and ideas of what we're going to get from the retreat, or experience on the retreat and uh, I think one of the things that's very important at the beginning is to recognise if we've come here with an agenda have we come here with some agenda or something we want to get before we leave, something we want to accomplish or maybe we want to go home and report our insights or our realisation or what we uh, have attained during these days. So, uh, in my experience, having an agenda like that, it gets in the way. It's the first thing you want to drop and uh, put aside. Because as long as we come into this space, you know, these days of practice together with an idea of what we should get out of it, we're not actually open to what can arise. We're, uh, we're trying to control or direct this time in a, in a way that uh, most likely will be like kind of tripping us up. So, when I look at these days, you know, we've got uh, well, now eight days together, eight and a bit of sitting together in silence like this, and you know, much of the day we're just sitting. In silence, moving around in silence. You know, we're with each other. We see each other, but we're not. And we might, uh, you know, make a friendly gesture, or or uh, or even just, you know, have a a, a kindly intention, without making any uh, like personal connection. We're aware of each other, and we influence each other. Certainly, You know, the fact that we're all sitting here together in this room is a support. And it's all in silence. So when I look at that, I just see, you know, if we can drop into that silent space, there's a possibility to experience life from a place that we rarely touch into, or at least... Well, I say we, but you know, we have, fortunately as monastics we have times of retreat, longish retreat each year. But it is in a regular life, you know, lifestyle, busy, engaged with, with family, friends, work. We we don't really allow ourselves to drop into a deeper space. So we're we're functioning from the rational a lot of the time, and social. We're being somebody, doing something, most of the time. So this is a, an opportunity to not have to be anyone in particular, and not have to do anything other than just follow this very simple schedule, which involves long periods of time of doing nothing very much, except perhaps directing our mind in a, in a wholesome way. So it's a whole different experience, isn't it, than, than our regular, daily, busy, engaged lives. And I think, you know, if we come here with an agenda or with an idea, that ag- agenda, and idea has come out of that, you know, it's come out of that sense of being somebody with something to do, something to attain, something to present to the world. So it's coming from that model and yet this uh, retreat time is not really belonging to that model. It's belonging to something deeper, a part of our psyche, you could say, or a part of our natural state of being that doesn't often get touched, doesn't often have the, the chance to be experienced. So I'd like to really encourage you to put aside any agendas And if you have any story going on about people back home that you're going to tell when you get home about how it was and what happened and feeling like you really ought to have something important to kind of show and tell when you come back, just put that to one side and open to the mystery of these days. And I really like that we're going to be, you know, coming to the end of a year, acknowledging that ending, you know, opening to a new year and carrying on a few days into that year, so it's kind of a lovely overlap. And uh, there's a there's a you know great potential for letting go, really, in these days. So we're not here to accumulate or become anything greater than we are already. We're here to find again. the the true greatness of being which doesn't really belong to any of us. So we're we're here to rediscover the the natural wisdom which is part of all of us which is living through each of us and in order to find that we have to uh, kind of navigate and, and and find our way through these many thoughts and ideas and uh, strong identifications that we've developed through our lifetime. So I feel uh, it's always important at the beginning of a retreat to mention the five hindrances. So I know some of you are very experienced meditators and have heard about the hindrances probably you know hundreds of times. But I still feel that they're very important, and I'm, I'm surprised at how many people, even who've been practicing a long time, can't quite remember them all. So there are five, like the fingers on your hand and thumb, and uh, so it's easy, you know, not too many. And these hindrances, they're, they're hindrances to enlightenment. So they they kind of get in the way. They're not uh, they're not Absolute obstacles if we meet them in the right way, but they they trip us up and they pull our attention in the wrong direction. So it's very important to know them, because most likely they're playing out, you know, as we sit in meditation, one or another or maybe numerous of them are playing out. So if we don't know them for what they are, then we believe in them, we're identifying with them, we become them, we start taking issue with them so uh, so it's important to know what they are. So the five hindrances are sensual desire. So sensual desire can manifest in many ways. It can be in the fantasy realm, which probably on a retreat is the most likely way it will manifest, because there aren't so many options for, <laughs> for it actually to happen. So sensual desire can be... Um, you know, the very, very blatant one is sexual desire, uh, a desire for food, comfort. Um, might be, start to fantasizing about a nice holiday you could be having if you hadn't booked up, up for this retreat. <laughs> you know, these, are, these are kind of sensual desire. You might be thinking about, when can I have a coffee or a cookie or you know, whatever it is the mind goes to. So this is sensual desire, and it's it's where where the mind is pulled away from what is happening now into some dream of some lovely something else that would make my life complete if I could only have it. So uh, I think we've all had plenty of experience of following sensual desire in our lifetime, and uh, so it's worth noticing that here we are, you know, in this situation that we've all you know, made effort to come to, chosen to come to, and sense of desire most likely will arise again. So re- regardless of the fact that we've, we've uh, followed that many times and, and uh, you know, had, had some gratification through following sense of desire, it doesn't actually go away. It keeps coming back again and again. So following desire does not lead to the end of desire. It leads to more and more desire, and uh, the recommendation of the Buddha is to, when sensual desire arises, is to reflect on impermanence. So we can notice, you know, so like there can be the impermanence of, of for example, gratification. You know, think about the last time you had what you're now kind of, you find yourself dreaming about. You know, the last time you had that, and then uh, that there was for some time a sense of Gratification from that, it was great. And then it changes. Or maybe, you know, we just had Christmas, you know, maybe like a, a wonderful feast, have been planning for for a long time and, and uh, cooking, and then you have this wonderful meal, people come together, you enjoy the meal, and then a bit later on you're going, oh. My stomach hurts. I wish I hadn't eaten so much. And then the next day, you kind of feel, oh, I really, I really shouldn't have had that, whatever it was. So that's uh, that's how following desire works. You know, it's great for a little while, and it's it's often really at its best just before you actually have what you want. Mm. So that kind of like, mm, I'm just about to get it. That's often though, like the most perfect point, and then you get it, and then it kind of becomes part of you, and then it's maybe lovely for a little while and then it starts to have its other aspects. And then there's a, you know, maybe putting on weight or getting a, some kind of allergy or whatever it is, you know, on it goes. So to see the whole picture and to recognize impermanence and desire arises, it's there for a while. And it will go on, it'll fade on its own if you let it. Even it might be very persistent for a while, but it will it will pass. And uh, and then it also, if we follow desire, it's there for a while. It's, it's gratified for a while, and then it passes. So the same thing. So to um, contemplate impermanence as a means to calm the the desiring mind or calm sensual desire and uh, ill will. So that also manifests in many ways and can be, can be um, anger, hatred in its most gross forms. It can be irritation or um, resentment or just an aversion. I don't like that particular kind of, or I don't like that person or I don't like that sound. You know, just a sort of an aversion to what is going on. And uh, the uh, Buddha's antidote to aversion or ill will is metta, loving-kindness. So loving-kindness, you know, that's also something that can be... um, We can use it in in different ways. So it can be a real sense of of love and maybe well, maybe peaceful. Or it can just be an embracing of... What's going on? So, you know, if, if you have an aversive character, then, uh, you know, whatever's going on, you always notice the thing that's wrong. So here we are, we're in, this is Samsara. you know, this is the, this is not a perfect realm that we live in. So if, you, if your mind is inclined to see what's wrong, it will always find something. There will always be something wrong if you want to find it so you can you can let your mind do that and look for the thing that's wrong and focus on that and suffer over it because you want it to be perfect or you can have more of a sense of friendliness so meta, one of the translations of metta is loving friendliness a sense of friendliness to things as they are so friendliness doesn't ask you know if you're friendly if you have a friend you don't ask your friend to be perfect. Friendship is based on a certain amount of acceptance and uh, understanding the limitations of another. So you know when we when we meet our experience with friendliness then you know it can be it can be that we're you know the, or the person that we feel some the person that we may be feeling some irritation for, meet them with a sense of friendliness, accepting their irritating habit, or the part of our that we're criticising. Meet that with a sense of friendliness. Oh, it's you know, oh yeah, you've got that irritating habit, and it's all right, you know You don't have to be perfect to be part of this world. So, uh, and it, or it could be the hall. You know, it might be your mind's focused on the crucifix, or the the heating system, or the sound system, or the the nuns not speaking loud enough, or you know, whatever it might be. And uh, and then the mind fixates on that, and it misses this beautiful space. It misses the opportunity. It misses the. The, the mutual support that we're giving each other. It misses the silence. It misses the, the years of devotion that nuns have given, not Buddhist nuns, but Catholic nuns have, have given into this space. It misses all of that because it's focused on the thing that's annoying. So, uh, you know, if we let our mind just follow that, we miss the opportunity. So, cultivating a sense of friendliness, kindness, acceptance to what we meet. And that includes the sense of irritation and ill will. So, I think it's very important not to judge ourselves for being irritable or being angry or having hatred, even, you know, but to. Embrace that, to meet that with a sense of kindness and um, acceptance. So it's not uh, letting it spill out; it's kind of held within an awareness that is friendly, accepting, maybe interested, and uh, and that allows it to transform. So, if we're looking for perfection outside, we're always going to be disappointed. It's about perfecting what is inside. So, and that's uh, to be careful when I say that because we can be, uh, you know, we can be very, very, set very high uh, expectations for ourselves. We want to be perfect and then we judge everything that's not perfect. But when I talk about perfection, I mean perfecting in terms of opening and letting go in terms of returning back to our true nature so uh, and, and we and we, we find our way back to that through meeting these these mindsets, these hindrances that I'm speaking about with wisdom and understanding and and also kindness and patiently and steadily working here with the the uh, obscurations of mind that that arise again and again so it's not to to have this high expectation but to recognize that our true nature is wise it is compassionate, it is open that's our true nature it is awake and we forget, we, we fall asleep we get lost in the stories again and again so it's finding our way back out of those stories back to what is real and we might just get little glimpses here and there but when we glimpse what is real we recognize it immediately and then maybe we're lost again in in the stories in the judgments in the criticisms and then maybe for a moment it opens again so to treasure those moments they're precious those moments when we see the truth without all of those stories so sensual desire, and ill will, um, and then there's restlessness. So uh, you know, we're here we, we just most people come from quite busy lives, and then we come and sit for long periods of time with very little stimulation. So it's pretty normal that there's going to be a bit of restlessness going on. And. Uh, again if we if we uh, just follow restlessness, it gets more and more restless we get more and more caught in it and, and it's like we're feeding that energy and it can be unbearable if you just get caught and we just, okay if I just move a little bit everything will be all right and then we move a bit and it's okay for a minute or two and then the restlessness starts to come up again oh I just have to just do something and on it goes and on it goes so again you know sort of <laughs> feeding that restlessness just brings more and more restlessness. So an antidote to that is to focus, so to use concentration. So there's a lot of energy in restlessness, and it's like that energy needs to be directed. It's it's not, it's not pulling us here and there. So to really focus on the breath. And particularly I would recommend focusing on the out breath, that will relieve, it's like the letting go, that relieves some of that restless energy. And as we keep focusing and collecting the mind around the breath, that energy that was going into pulling us here and there is is going into focusing, is, is, is deepening. And it can bring us into very uh, clear and concentrated states. So when restlessness arises... And if we we keep following it, we just get more and more agitated. But if we can see that this is an opportunity, oh, there's a lot of energy here. This is an opportunity to really focus that energy and see what happens. So explore that when the restlessness comes up. And again, don't judge it. So they say that um, one of the last things to go before you get fully enlightened, I think it's the second to last thing, is restlessness. So we've got a ways to go yet. So when restlessness arises, it's uh, it's just natural, and it can be redirected. That energy can be redirected. And then uh, sleepiness and dullness. So I I think probably quite a few people here are quite tired. I certainly am. So uh, you know sleepiness and dullness. There's there's uh, the sleepiness and dullness that comes from just being exhausted and then we need to rest and I think in these first couple of days you know, you can take a little rest here and there don't be too hard on yourself if you nip off in you know, a walking meditation because you're really exhausted and lie down and sleep it's okay for these first couple of days after that, don't, don't keep following it because if you keep following it it just keeps, you know you just get more and more comfortable and enjoy sleeping and um, but there's also a kind of dullness that is not about being tired, but just about not being really clear and focused. So, uh, I did speak a little bit about this earlier, you know, and one of the recommendations is to develop the perception of light. So, you know, if you're sitting, and we haven't got. You know, if you're sitting during the day, there's light coming from the windows, then you can open your eyes and, and just look at the light. Or you can bring to mind an image of like a ball of light, and just keep putting your mind on that light. Or of a candle, just keep putting your mind on that light. So you so you bring literally bring brightness into your mind that's that's dull and heavy. And also, you know, things like standing and walking, meditation, and brisk walking is good if you're sleepy. And you might find that you, that uh, even with the most convincing sleepiness. If you, if you keep working at it, if you keep putting effort into uh, like lightening and opening the mind, then there comes a point where it just changes like that. And what felt like an absolute real need to have a sleep is just falling away, and the mind is, is light. So it's really worth experimenting. And you don't have to be too afraid, you know, that this is the time that we have to experiment you don't have to follow everything the way you think is, you know, the way you're used to or you think it should do it like this. There's a, there's, there's a chance to, to push past some of your, our perceived limits, limitations. So uh, I encourage you to explore a little bit with these things. Don't believe in them too much because they're not as real as they appear. The mind is, uh, is much greater than we give it credit for. Um, and then doubt. Doubt is a tricky one because it, it just uh, feeds on itself, really. It gives it, it's self-perpetuating. It's like a like a dog chasing its tail. It just goes round and round. And there's a lot of energy there that's just not going anywhere. So it appears that if we... If we Come to you know if doubt arises, then you know, we just keep thinking about it enough, then we'll come to some kind of answer. But uh, and then certainly like investigation can be helpful, and sometimes asking a question. So we might be doubting you know well, what should I be doing? What what's actually the purpose of meditation anyway? What what am I supposed to be doing here? and then if we don't have any sort of sense of what that answer is then we could just spend the whole time doubting am I doing it right what, what, what do they mean you know, what am I supposed to be doing so I certainly spent quite a lot of time doing that when I first started practicing because I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing or I'd get a, 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 an instruction and I'd think well does, do they mean this or that you know, am I supposed to be breathing, noticing the breath in the belly or in the nose which is the right one There must be a right one. Which is the one that gets you enlightened? Is it the belly or the... I want that one. I want the right one. But actually, they're both right. So if you're... You know, if if you're maybe sleepy or thinking a lot, then go to the belly. So if there's a lot of thoughts, I find if there's a lot of thoughts, trying to focus on the nostrils is much too close to the thoughts so come down into the belly, and feel the movement, the rising and falling of the belly. And then, if you find that the mind gets really refined and, and collected, then the nostrils, focusing on the tip of the nose, can be really very um, clear, and it can bring a, a, a like a subtlety of mind and concentration. But we've got to we've got to know well what you know have discernment about where am I starting from. You know, am I? because we can read a book about how it's supposed to be but we don't actually apply that to where we are now so you've got to use wisdom, our natural wisdom where are we starting from you know, are we starting from already being very developed and having strong um, awareness and concentration or are we starting from having, remembering how that was in the past but not really being there at the moment or have has our mind always been a little confused, and we're not quite sure what to do? So then, just stay with belly. And I think one of the, the unfortunate uh, aspects of our Western education system is that it's, it's very hierarchical. So often we think of the like, like the first stages, you know, like like in um, the Buddha's teaching, there are. And there's like the core principles of the Dharma and then there's the core teachings. So the five hindrances is one of the kind of basics. To, to, in the beginning we need to know about the hindrances, we need to know about uh, other teachings that will give the four noble truths and, and mindfulness of, of breathing and so on. And, and it, we can fool ourselves into thinking that they are not really important because they're just beginner stuff. So you kind of skip over those. Oh yeah, the five minutes is, okay, got that. And then you want to get onto something really good, really interesting, really kind of subtle and metaphysical and complex. Because that's really you know, where it's at. But uh, the Buddha's teaching, as, we've been, as we have said and we will keep saying, is very simple, actually. It's, it's, it's pointing to a very simple truth. And we, we make it more and more complicated. And we miss it, actually, because it is so simple. It is about being fully present with what is happening here and now. And it's about knowing what is wholesome and what is unwholesome and cultivating what is wholesome and rooting out what is unwholesome. It's very, very simple. And yet, it's not an easy thing to do. That's why we spend years working at it. And. Uh, So these simple teachings, even if you've been around for a long time and you know all about the hindrances, chances are during this retreat, if if I don't remind you, if one of us doesn't remind you, you'll get caught at some point believing into, buying into the hindrances, me and mine. So, you know, when these hindrances arise, first of all we have to know them for what they are. So we might be lost in... Dreaming about some lovely thing we could be doing if we weren't here, and then we catch it, and then probably then we start judging it. Oh, there we go again. I was, you know, fantasizing, not supposed to be doing that. So actually, then what we've done is we've gone from sensual desire. Immediately, we've gone to ill will. So judgment is ill will. It's a criticism. It it splits us from reality. And what we, what we want to do is to know what is going on, to bring what is going on into awareness. So daydreaming happens, fantasizing happens, we catch it. Judging happens, we notice that and make a space around that judgment. Well, there it is again, now look at that. The hindrances are really clever, aren't they, you know? one calls the other one in okay they've got me come on quick quick you know. <laughs> and then, but the awareness if we learn to put our attention on the awareness the awareness knows all of it the awareness is like um, you know, it's like watching the children at their games and the hindrances of these kids you know, playing pranks on us playing tricks trying to, trying to catch us out And the awareness is maybe a a kindly parent who's seeing it going on. And it's not scolding them, it's not telling them to shut up. It's just seeing it all going on and maybe having a little chuckle and knowing that this isn't the reality. This isn't uh, actually going to do me any harm. It's just like a, a trick of the mind. It's like a prank of the mind. So this is what we need to develop, this sense of open awareness, seeing the whole thing going on, watching the whole play, the whole drama play itself out and the times that we hold on to it and identify with it and it hurts or we feel really great for a while because we believe that we really are something special or that we really are... Something terrible, and we and the awareness knows all of that, and it doesn't believe any of it. It knows it's just the it's just the drama of the mind. It's just a play, and it's not uh, the truth of what we are. So, with all of these thoughts, or obviously come feelings. It's not just thinking. So we feel the pull of desire. We feel the the heat of anger or irritation. We feel the agitation of restlessness and the heaviness of sloth and the, the, the swirling and whirling of doubt and confusion. We feel all of those things. And then and the more we identify with them, then the more um, acutely we feel those. So as Ayasantachita was speaking about this morning, it's very important to be able to be with the feelings that arise in our body, and uh, to not be afraid to feel. Because I think this is really at the core of what keeps us caught. That we are afraid to feel. We're afraid to be fully sentient. And so you know, a painful feeling arises and we, t- we quickly want to get away from it. Or a pleasant feeling arises and we grasp hold of it. And we want to become it. So learning how to recognize when we grasp when we're grasping hold and we're attached and identified and learning how to gradually release that grip and make some space around the feeling and again you know contemplating impermanence knowing that things change is a real great support in this because uh, if we think that feeling is who and what we are and it's going to be there forever then it's scary and it definitely can feel like that, you know. And uh, you know, even after, I've been practicing for many years, but I can still, I notice sometimes, occasionally I wake up in the morning and there's a feeling there. And it's almost like a, a thing. It's almost like a solid something inside me. And, it's, and it feels, and it's saying, I don't know, it says they say different things. But let's say it's saying, um, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're fooling? You know, a nun in America, teacher. Come on, you know, you're still angry. So still angry, you're so greedy. You're forgetful, and they you know, might say all of those things. And then it feels like a solid, real thing. That's that's me. And then if I don't, if I'm not careful, then I become that. And then I feel really bad. And then I start to doubt. Oh, maybe, or maybe, maybe I should. And then. But then if I remember that this is just a feeling, that's arising in the moment and it's impermanent, then I can be interested, I don't have to be afraid of it because it can't harm me. I can be interested so then I can start to look. Oh yeah, there's that feeling, it's painful, it's judgmental, it's uh, contracted. And then as I breathe, I can breathe intentionally breathe through that feeling. Breathe through that contraction. And it might take some time, but gradually, after a while, that feeling and that perception completely dissipate. And they have no energy, it has no energy at all. It's gone. And then there's that sense of like, oh How could I have believed that even for a moment? It's just a it's just a trick So it's really important to, to know these these mind states and to know that they're not who and what we are And the more we identify with them the more power we give them And they can be a little bit like tar baby you know that, that feeling and then, you, and then you try and push it away and then in pushing it away you're, you're averse so then there's there's aversion on top of aversion and then we're kind of stuck on that and then we try and get off that and okay, try and be nice to it and, you know, and then we get more and more kind of entangled because we're identifying with the feeling in the first place so just to, to remember that all the thoughts and feelings that arise in our consciousness, are just that. They're just thoughts. They're just feelings. They don't actually have any substance. And the mind is is so, a thought is so, could be so fast, they're changing all the time our thoughts. And then we catch hold of a thought and we make it into me. And then we start to suffer. Or we feel great for a while, and then, sometime later, we start to suffer. You know, we identify with these ephemeral, changing processes, and uh, this is really like at the core of our, of our suffering. Really, is it? Is it the 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 crux of our being? uh, Our condition of being stuck as a as a as a person who's trying to find their way out of suffering. So, uh, it's often said that nobody gets enlightened. No person realises enlightenment. So when I say that, I want to be clear that I'm not saying enlightenment is impossible. Enlightenment is, is our true nature. It's what is waiting to be rediscovered but it's not that we become a perfect person who is enlightened. It's that we understand that the person is not who and what we are, but that underneath that, that play of, of me and mine, there is the wise and compassionate mind, heart. It's always here, and we might see it for moments, and uh, and sometimes you know, we maybe see it for a moment and then we say oh look at that, I got a really good insight, I'm really special I must be more special than anyone else here You know, it's just you've got to be really careful it's so tricky the ego is so tricky it looks for any opportunity, any little opening so again and again letting go this is a, a practice of relinquishment, of letting go of uh, untangling untangling the tangles of self and we need to be very patient and interested and compassionate in this process because it's, it's not easy and it takes time and we get tripped up again and again but every time we see that we've been caught or that we've we've grasped and identified every time we see that, that's a moment of awakening, that's a precious moment. And often what we do, is, and I'm saying it often but I'm going to say it again, often what we do is, you know, we have that moment of awakening and realization and mindfulness and then we judge the fact that we weren't mindful a moment before. So we don't have to do that, we can, we can really appreciate the, that moment of, of clarity when it arises and encourage ourselves. Instead of banging ourselves over the head again and again. So, this life is very, uh, I would say, this life is very precious and it's short. We never know when it's going to end. And even with the best of intentions, you know, we find ourselves getting pulled off track, right, left, and centre. So, to really take the opportunity to drop a little deeper, not get caught so easily by the hindrances of the mind, but to see them for what they are. And as soon as you see them, that's like a, that's like a light going on in a dark room, it's, it's, a, it's a precious moment and it's, you know, it only takes a little glimpse, it only takes a moment of mindfulness for that, that delusion to be dispelled. So we must make much of those moments. It's very important. And, uh, and keep working at it, you know, just keep, keep investigating, keep taking an interest, and kind of get to know ourselves. It's like a, a, and a it's like a, an, almost like a, a new acquaintance, you know, because we get, we can, in a retreat situation, we can get to know ourselves in a way that maybe we won't allow ourselves to in other times because we, we have to be somebody. We have to present ourselves in a certain way or we need to convince ourselves that we are a certain way in order to feel okay about ourselves. So in retreat, we don't really need to do any of that. But we need to get to know, how does this work? what's How does it tick, this me, this me process? And to trust that you know, it's, it can be transformed. So, you know, there is the, the power of awareness that can hold all of this and know it for what it is. And then there's the the work of cultivating what is wholesome, turning around, changing our habits, and of not feeding what is unwholesome. So on the New Year's Eve, we're going to have a little ceremony where we write down and let go of any regrets or uh, yeah, regrets really that, that we've that we are carrying with us that we want to just end so we don't have to endlessly carry these around to, to consciously let them go and to speak out our wholesome intentions for the next year just just, just in a word so we home it down to one word and that uh, you know, we we have to, obviously it's not like a magical ritual where suddenly all of our things we did wrong in the past have gone and we are what we want to be in the future. We have to put the energy in. But it's putting that intention out there and sharing that. So we can transform whatever obscurations of mind are present, they can be transformed. And they're transformed through seeing knowing, accepting and cultivating what is wholesome and through patience and through working together through you know spiritual friendship and support so I say spiritual friendship even though we're in, in silence together it is an act of friendship to do this we do, we're kind of doing this for each other as well as for ourselves so all of these they support us on the path and then uh, you know, we have these it's just a few precious days together but to really make use of this time so it's about what can, what can be seen and let go of how honest can I be how courageous can I be how kind can I be So uh, enjoy the journey. I'd like to offer that tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.